Fantastic. Great to hear the conversations and the bubble. Continue. The, feel free to continue afterwards. Maybe grab someone you don't know very well or you just met now and take them out for lunch. Plenty of lunch options in the city. It is great to have you here. My name's Andrew Serkham. I'm a city campus pastor and it is great to have you here. If you are visiting on you, just to continue the welcome that Meg's had for you before, love to connect with you after the service and help you get connected in. We are uh, in the process, we're starting a whole bunch of life groups, and it's exciting to see them going. And uh, they're a great way in which you can get connected in our midweek groups and to get to know people a little bit better. So we'd love to help you get connected into one of those if you are keen. Uh, we are in the middle of our kind of our launch series for the year called Presence, and uh, looking at how uh, God has created us uh, to be in His presence. And uh, deep in the heart, well, the, the, the strap line is deep in the heart of every person. Uh, is the desire, the longing to be in the presence of God because deep in the heart of God is the longing to be present with His people. And uh, we've been created to be in the presence of God. And uh, today is the end uh, of our, a season that we called the whole church to, 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I know a whole bunch of you have engaged in this in a whole range of different ways uh, in terms of fasting for certain days or certain times during the day. And uh, it's been just great to hear what God's been doing and hearing some of the stories. I know for myself, uh, I've just found it intensely rich. It's just been a a great season to seek after God and to hear His voice. I've been deeply encouraged. And we're going to continue kind of leaning into this space today. Um, Today, I'm going to be speaking on practicing the presence of God in the everyday Enjoying the presence of God every day. Fasting, as we've just heard, uh, both from Shannon and from Steve, is one of those things that helps us to focus our heart and our mind and attention uh, in a real way, in a regular way, on God. And we are invited to enjoy the presence of God, to practice the presence of God every day, all the time. Every minute of every day, we're invited to enjoy the presence of God and enjoy the gift, as Steve spoke about, the gift of His presence. And it truly is a gift. The whole phrase, practicing the presence of God, is actually taken from a little book that was compiled back in the 17th century. And it was the, uh, based on some conversations and some letters written by a monk in Paris called Brother Lawrence. Anyone heard of the book, Practicing the Presence of God? That's well, a really interesting story. So um, Brother Lawrence um, grew up in France and he was a soldier in the 30-year war and, and decided to change his life and, uh, and go and join a monastery in Paris. And he started out in the accounts department. And uh, soon after starting in the accounts department, he realised it was an abject failure in accounts. That would be my story too, uh, if I ever ended up in a monastery doing accounts. And so he relegated himself to the kitchen, washing up, cleaning dishes, just in that space. And as he just found his, his, his world kind of in work and cleaning and serving and doing all the practices of a monastery, he began to shape his heart and his life around Jesus and the presence of God. And he would spend time, he writes, as he washed his dishes, just finding joy as he cast his vision, as he stared into the face and into the character of Jesus. And it was as he lived this life and as he conversed with his friends, he didn't even write the book. It was his friend who compiled the conversations and the letters that he wrote into this book 
call it, which was called practicing the presence of God, enjoying the presence of God every minute of every hour of every day. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to read from Psalm 27. There's another person who just loved practicing the presence of God, and that was King David. And he wrote a whole bunch of songs about it, and we're going to read one of them today. So if you want to turn to Psalm 27, uh, verses 4 to 14, we're going to read. Uh, open up your Bible or your digital device, uh, or we will have the words on the screen behind me as well if you have that. Uh, let's, uh, let's uh, read this together. Psalm 27, starting at verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set, my, set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At His sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. Joy, I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. I just quickly pause there. My heart says of you, seek his face. It's almost like there's a deeper desire here that his, you know, his heart has to instruct his mind. His deeper desires have to instruct his, his more superficial desires. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes or false, false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious, malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will seek the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I remember when I first met Megan. Some of you may have heard the story a few weeks ago of how I first met Megan at, uh, at a, a show, Les Mis, in London. And after meeting Megan, I, I just wanted to be around her. I just wanted to be in her presence. I may have been a little bit freaky with that. I may have been stalker-like with that. But, you know, we'd, we'd go to church, and I knew where Megan was sitting. I knew where she was. I just had one eye on her, just making sure, what, you know, that there was no other young or older suitors kind of, kind of trying to have too long a conversation. If there was too long a conversation with a single guy with Megan, I would just kind of walk over and just butt in. You know, I just, I knew where Megan was. I just wanted to always be in her vicinity. If she was invited to a party, then I made sure that I got the same invite to the party so that I could be in the presence of Megan. And then amazingly, when she agreed to go out with me and then get married to me during that dating, courting, engagement season, I just... Every moment I wanted to be with Megan. I remember running from the train station to get to Megan's house just because I was so excited to see Megan. It still happens today. Uh, still. <laughs> I would look into Megan's eyes and I would just gaze into her beauty 
and 50 times a day I would tell her how beautiful she was and how wonderful she was. Now it's more like 100. Uh, I wanted to be in the presence, of, and I still do. I, I, honestly, I, I still love being in the presence of Megan. You know, we practice the presence of the thing that gives us pleasure, that gives us joy. We practice the presence of the thing that gives us pleasure. And as we read this passage today, we see that David longs to be in the presence of God because he knows that's what gives him greatest pleasure. He wants to practice the presence of God because it gives him great joy. It gives him great purpose. It gives him great meaning. He writes this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He just wants to be in the presence. If there's one thing he could do, it's to be in the presence of the living God. You know, Brother Lawrence writes this, who who, who wrote, uh, Practicing the Presence of God. When I first entered the monastery, I looked upon God as the beginning and the end of all my thoughts and all the feelings of my soul. During the hours that were designated for prayer, I meditated on the truth and character of God that we must accept by the light of faith rather than spending time in laborious meditations and readings. By meditating on Jesus himself, I advanced in my knowledge of this lovable person with whom I resolved to dwell always. Completely immersed in my understanding of God's majesty, I used to shut myself up in the kitchen. Alone, after having done everything that was necessary for my work, I devoted myself to prayer in the time that was left. Now, Brother Lawrence loved to be in the presence of God. He practiced the presence of God. David longed to be in the presence of God. One thing I asked that I would be in the presence of God above anything else, I want to be in the presence of God. Now, I want to ask you this morning, if you had one wish, if you rubbed that bottle and out came a genie, and that genie was before you and said, I will give you one wish. We all imagine this, don't we, as we're growing up. Have you, we've imagined what that thing would be. And you can't, this is cheating, you can't say a thousand more wishes. Who said that before? Yeah, it's cheating, you can't do that. It's in the genie rules. I read it up. If you had one thing, one thing that you would seek, what would it be? Can you think? If you just had one wish, what would it be? I was uh, reading uh, some articles this week and there was one from a Business Insiders magazine and the title kind of caught my attention. Uh, the title was, The First Thing Lottery Winners Have Bought After Finding Out They Were Rich. The first thing lottery winners have bought after finding out they were rich. Let me just give you a few. Bob Erb. Bob Erb, which I think his name, maybe he changed his name, because he spent his first money supporting the legalisation of marijuana. Should be Bob Herb, I reckon, not Bob Herb, but anyway. <laughs> Jonathan Vargas. Jonathan Vargas spent his money, the first part of his money, creating a TV show with scantily clad female wrestlers. He's got issues. Nigel Willits, uh, he spent his money travelling the world with his family. Lara and Roger Griffiths, they, they went out and bought their dream home. Evelyn Adams, she went on a gambling spree at Atlantic City and spent the whole lot. <laughs> Vivian Nicholson treated herself to a perpetual shopping spree. 
including Harrods, which is not cheap. I've been there. You know, many of these people are now penniless. They don't have any money left. You know, if you were to win the lottery and you were given $50 million, $500 million, what would be the first thing that you would spend your money on? You know, what do you desire most? What gives you greatest pleasure? You know, so often we go to the things that are most immediate to us, the things that are easiest to us, the things that feed us. They're the things that give us hope. They're the things that we go to when we're in distress, when we're feeling insecure, insecure when we're feeling tired, when we're feeling lonely. You know, they're the things that we go to which are immediate, that, that give us that hit. They are the practices of our life. They're the things that form us and shape us. You know, on one hand, we're, we're offered as Christians to practice the presence of God and enjoy the presence of God, but it takes time, it takes effort, it's not immediate, it's not easy. On the other, there are a whole bunch of things that we can run to which give us pleasure, give us that immediate fix that are not hard fought for, that are easily accessible. And it could be anything. They could be good things or they could be bad things. But they're things that we go to to find our pleasure. They could be relations, relationships. It could be physical appearance and gym. It could be social media. It could be food and sugar. It could be success and career. It could be shopping. It could be a whole range of things that we go to to find our sense of meaning and purpose. They're the things that give us happiness and pleasure. The thing is, is that we don't often practice the, pre- uh, the presence of God because there are other things that are actually more immediate that rob us, that distract us, that steal us away from spending time with God. But we've got to understand that these practices, whatever they are, the things that we do in our life, the things that we build into our life are ultimately forming us. They're ultimately shaping us. They're ultimately telling us who we are. Theologian James Smith says this, all habits and practices are ultimately trying to make us into a certain kind of person. So one of the most important questions we need to ask is, just what kind of person is this habit or practice trying to produce? And to what end is such a practice aimed? So we all practice the things that give us joy and pleasure. The question we need to ask is, who are we becoming as we practice these things? the habits that we have placed in our life. And we're invited to practice the presence of God. But if we are to practice the presence of God, we must practice the presence of God. It actually takes work. It takes discipline. It takes effort. It takes change in our life. David writes this, I long to be in your presence, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. To seek him in his temple. Now, seeking actually takes work. You know, seeking actually requires you going and looking, searching and finding. You know, I love playing hide and seek with my kids at home. But it wouldn't be much fun for the kids if I didn't go and hide so they could seek me. You know, if I just, they counted to 20 and I stood in the kitchen like this and they ran to look for me and found me, that wouldn't be very exciting for them. That wouldn't be hide and seek. That would just be found. (laughs) It would be called life. That's what it would be called. That's not hide and seek. See, the girls love coming and looking behind the doors and looking in the cupboards and looking on the roof. 
No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's not, I don't hide there. And there's great joy when they find me. Why? Because they've been seeking. And David says, I want to seek after God. There's a discipline. There's a searching to it. There's a longing for it. There's a, there's a, there's a looking for it. And we read throughout the Bible that God loves to be sought after. He loves to be found. He loves it when people come and seek after Him and seek His face because He wants to be found. And David says, I will seek. There's an effort to it. There's an energy to it. There's a searching. David says, I seek Him in His temple. He also says, I long to gaze on His beauty. I want us to understand this. Gazing is not glancing. We live in a culture that is addicted to glancing. We grab our phones every morning and we scroll through news feeds and we look at various things going on in the world and we're glancing, glancing, glancing. Oh, that took my, I'll just read that for a bit. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. But that's not gazing. Gazing takes discipline. Gazing takes focus. Gazing takes time. And David says, I long to gaze, to search, to look into the beauty of God. And a number of years ago, I went to the Louvre Museum in Paris. Anyone been to the Louvre? Anyone gone to that big, big gallery, the big room that's, that seems very empty apart from a few paintings and one small painting right at the end, which has the Mona Lisa? Anyone seen the Mona Lisa? Anyone gazed at the Mona Lisa? I don't think I gazed. There were hundreds of people there and I couldn't get close to it. And it's actually quite small. But all these people were gazing at the Mona Lisa by Michelangelo. It's this amazing art piece. People looking at this piece of art, but to, abs to, to enjoy the beauty of art, to enjoy the Mona Lisa, you need to gaze at it. You need to, 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 to look at it and look at the textures, look at the shadow, look at the colours and look at how it's been done. And, and experts will say as you gaze at these paintings, well-made paintings, not only are you drawn into its beauty, but there's something, there's an exchange that takes place. Apparently with the Mona Lisa, her eyes just follow you wherever you stand, which I just think is a bit freaky. She's gazing at you. <laughs> the same can apply with our relationship with God. That actually we're invited to seek Him and to gaze into His, into his face, gaze into His beauty, to focus in on Him. But the challenge is, is that I think that we have over time and as I talk to people and as I reflect my own life, we have thin practices when it comes to gazing into the presence of God. We actually don't have the disciplines. We like to glance. We like to look. But we really don't like seeking. We don't like gazing. Why? Because we don't have time and because we're too distracted and because our brains have been wired in a way that is stopping us from sitting and spending time in the presence of God. You see, it takes work. To practice the presence of God, it actually takes work. And I know this with my marriage to Megan now, that it takes work. It's not enough for me just to say, oh, I just enjoy being in your presence, Megs. Catch you later. I'm off. I tried that for a while. 
I just, you know, with the first few years of marriage, just vibing it, just kind of, yeah, no, this is great. I'm loving this. I don't need much, you know, quality time. Megan does. He says, and, and that didn't really work out for me so well. And so we had a conversation at some point, which was initiated by Megan, um, and she did most of the talking, and I did most of the listening, and then I did most of the changing, um, <laughs> which, is, which is how I think it works in marriage. Um, Megan is always right, and she is always right. There is, this, there is a reality that for Megan and I with our relationship, if it's going to work, we need disciplines in our relationship. We spend time, we, we actually, there is intentionality, there is work to be done daily, weekly, yearly, things put in place so that the, our relationship can work. There are disciplines, there are thick practices that need to be cultivated in our relationship. And so I want to give us some really radical tools today about how we can practice the presence of God. I'm actually going to give you two things that I actually don't think has ever been really presented, two uh, creative things that will help us practice the presence of God. These things you've never heard before. They're going to be radical, revolutionary. You ready for them? Reading your Bible and praying. Can you, I mean, I know, I know. Write it down, write it down. Don't forget it. I know you've never heard these before. Reading the Bible and praying throughout all of Christendom over the last 2,000 years, anyone who's done anything for the glory of God has invested in these two practices. But they're hard. They're hard. Reading the Bible and praying. They're the practices that help us in enjoying the presence of God. Firstly, reading the Bible. Practicing the presence of God is an invitation into a powerful story. Practicing the presence of God is an invitation into a powerful story. You know, we live in a culture that is telling us a story. We live in a culture that is telling us and communic communicating to us a certain narrative. You know, when we wake up in the morning, I reckon many of us will reach out and grab our phone and open it up and look at our messages and then go and look at our newsfeed, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, whether it's the Apple News app, whatever it is. And as we scroll down and we glance at all the news items of the day, it is inviting us into a certain narrative. It's telling us something about the world and it's invoking something and telling something about who we are in the world. You know, news channels are built on evoking emotions of fear. That's how they're digging into your primal kind of reactions. And so that is why they, there is so much bad news. You know, and it has been bad news this year, but it's just exacerbated by news. Why? Because they know that they will pull you in. They are telling you a narrative about the world. And they're telling a narrative about who you are in the world. Often it's about comparison. It's telling you about what you don't have and what you need. It's telling you that you, you are inadequate. That is the narrative of our culture and that is what we get. That is what forms us. That's what forms our mind. That's what forms our hearts and our emotions every morning of every day. But we are invited into another story. And if we're going to believe that story, if that is the story that we're going to participate in, then we need to enter into that story and know that story. We need to open up that story and read it every day. And that's the story of grace. The Bible is a story about God's redemption for us. And we need to read it. 
We need to spend time in it. We need to understand that actually we are saved, we are redeemed, that God loves us, that God came for us and that we are invited to be his children, that we don't need to earn, we don't need to strive, that we are adequate and we are loved. That is the narrative we need to find ourselves in. But so often we believe that the culture, again, there's another story being told, that, that, that the Bible is bad. It's bad for you. It's malicious. It's dangerous. It's a, it's a meta-narrative. It's power abuse and it's pulling you into terrible places. That is what the culture would like us to believe about the Bible. And we, I think, we've believed it. And so we actually have believed the lie to one level or another that the Bible is bad it's not an authority worth reading and we won't read it. And that is a truth that is being continually peddled and we need to re- we need, that needs to be blown away. We need to understand that, that this book, the Bible, is a present, presentation. It's where we come, where we study the character of God and in particular study the character of Jesus because this book is about God. And in particular, it's a love letter from him to us. It's the story of Jesus coming to us. Sometimes we get lost in it and we read just one small passage and, and we don't understand it. And it's confusing. And we read and go, well, that was, that was not helpful for me. Well, if you open up any novel and you read just one paragraph, it's going to be confusing. What you need to understand is the full story, the full picture. Let me give you very quickly the full picture, the full story of the Bible. We are created by God on purpose for a purpose. That's where it starts. But as we continue through the story, we understand that we are all sinners. We've rejected God. We've chosen our own way. And as a result, the world is broken. There is brokenness everywhere because of our selfishness, our pride, and our sin. God comes for us, though. Firstly, He comes to a person called Abraham and makes covenant with the people of Israel, giving them the law, giving them a way back to Him. But they cannot fulfill the law. They fail. So God, in His great mercy, sends Himself. He comes as the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus lives, dies, and is risen again so that we can have relationship with God again, so that our pride and selfishness can be forgiven for. But but not only that, he's risen again so that we can know his presence and his power now. And we gather as the church, the people of the Spirit here in this place, knowing the power and the presence of Jesus Christ by his Spirit here. And one day, one day we look forward to a time when Jesus will return as King and we will get to enjoy his presence, his goodness, his grace forever and ever. That is the big story. That is the good news story. I think we can clap that. We need to remind ourselves of that story every day. Every day. When you wake up, what's the story you're going to start with? The story of chaos, fear, inadequacy, insecurity? Well, the story of mercy, of grace, of forgiveness, and of purpose. Practicing the presence of God is an an invitation into a powerful story. I want to encourage you, find your way to spend time in his word every day. Now, we're all different learners. We we may all do this differently. Now, for me, I love to journal. I love to open my Bible, read, pray, and journal. That's my discipline. I do it every day. It kind of keeps me accountable. It helps me focus my mind. For others of you, you might want to go out for walks or you listen and listen to the Bible. 
how, whatever, you've got Bible reading plans, whatever it is, find the way that helps you start your day in the right story. Practicing the presence of God is an invitation into a powerful story. It's a story of grace. And it's an invitation into relationship. See, practicing the presence of God is not just an invitation into a powerful story, but it's also an invitation into a personal relationship. We're actually invited into a relationship with God. And it's an invitation to, to communicate, to, to, to walk with God, to allow Him to speak to us and for us to allow, allow us to, to give our hearts to Him and to share our emotions with Him. You know, I reckon most of it is about listening. God is always speaking and He's wanting to speak to us, but, but sometimes we're not good listeners. I'm not a good listener. I realised this again very early on in my relationship with Megan. I remember going to our pre-marriage course and uh, I remember the week when it was on communication where you learn how to communicate with one another. And we had this exercise where we were to act, be active listeners. Uh, each person was to take their turn to just to share something deep about them, maybe a, sh- a story or how they're feeling and what was going on in their life, their deep emotions. And I remember Megan began, she was sharing her heart and her deep emotions. And uh, I was sitting there and something distracted me. I, I don't know what it was, but I'm kind of like, I, I started thinking about that rather than active listening with Megan because I'm easily distracted, right? I reckon it's most men here at least uh, are like that. Um, and I just, I, rem- I, I remember Megan finishing and she said, Andrew, So now's your time just to share back what you heard from my heart. (laughs) I I, I couldn't make up anything because that would have been worse. So I just, I had to be honest. I said, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. I I got distracted. I I missed everything you said. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why Megan actually married me. I reckon there was a clear sign right there that this guy is an idiot. <laughs> Run. <laughs> I, I, I've had to learn. I've had to learn, and I'm still learning. Ask me, and I'm still learning to listen. It is hard. We live in a culture of distraction. But we need to train our hearts and our minds to learn to listen. And it, sometimes it just takes time. I don't know if you're like me, but, but I'll be doing my reading. I'll start praying. And then all of a sudden, I'll start thinking about something to do with work, you know, or, or, or some pressure of the day. And instead of beating myself up, and you see this with Brother Lawrence, instead of moving into this, this beating yourself up, just going, God, I kind of got distracted then, sorry about that. Maybe you're trying to say something about how I'm overworking here. How about I just come back to you? Let's keep that, sorry, let's keep that conversation. Or are you trying to say something about my distractions? We're invited to listen to God and to spend time with him. But let me tell you this, and I've learned this with kids. Love is spelt T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E. You will not hear the voice of God unless you discipline yourself and spend time in his presence and you, and, and, until you actually are active in it. If you're struggling to hear the voice of God, if you're struggling to know his, his plans for your life, if you're struggling to connect with him, let me ask you, are you spending time with him? Are you actually making time 
for him. Let me just give you some practical things that can help you and things that I've used in the past. Jesus has taught us to pray. In Matthew chapter 5, he teaches the disciples and he teaches us how to pray. If you want to learn to pray, just start with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, dot, 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 dot. And use each of those lines to shape your prayers. You can start with that. There's, 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 that is the best place to start because Jesus taught us to pray that way. I don't know if you've come across the ACTS acronym, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving and Supplication, which is a really old word which basically is asking for stuff. Supplication. Who uses that word these days? Not me. Adoration. Just worshipping God, saying, God, thank you for all that you are. Confession and repentance, which is actually something that is so deep, so rich and so important. This is what Brother Lawrence says about confession. It's actually reported by his friend who writes the book. When he sinned, he confessed it to God with these words. I can do nothing better without you. Please keep me from falling and correct the mistakes I make. After that, he did not feel guilty about the sin. Pretty, pretty matter of a fact. He just confessed. He's had a life, he had a life cultivated on confession. Confession is part of our relationship with God. Thanksgiving, thank you God that you forgive me. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And supplication, God, will, will you just break through in my life? God, for those people that I'm praying for right now are going through a really tough time, God, will you, will you provide, will you bless them? Ephesians chapter six, Paul writes this, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Wherever and whenever you can, connect with God. Connect with him. And for you praying, it might, again, it might be different ways of doing it. However you connect with God, go there and do it regularly, as Jason says. Whether that's going for walks, whether that's being out in creation, whether that's sitting in solitude, in quiet, in your office, however, however it works for you, find your way and do it. You know, I'm a believer in the first things principle. First things, start with God. Make it the first principle in your life, just like Sunday is the first day of the week. Make, make your first moments with God. Because if you start with God, you will, you're more likely to end with God. You know, I've found in my spiritual journey, as I've walked my course, that if I don't start with God and intend to do it later on, it is always much more difficult because the things of this world, just the life just gets in the way. I was just saying to some of the team before, Coffee, I think, can be part of your time with God. I think that that is part of the first principle. You know, if you need coffee, then, then that's okay. Coffee, time with God, it goes together. I've certainly learnt that in my marriage with Megan. Megan's much nicer after coffee. Oh. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. Hey, I was already in trouble, so I thought I'd go with it. Some people say, you know, I'm not a morning person. I can't use that argument to Megan. Sorry, I can't. I'm not going to talk with you for the next three hours. I'm not a morning person. I need to connect with Megan. And in the same way, when you start with God, remind yourself of the narrative and the story, converse with him, it sets you up for the day. If you start with God, you're more likely to finish with God. First things principle. How are you going to do it? 
How are you going to work it out? Listen, you know, for, we're all at different, different stages in our spiritual journey. You know, maybe for some of you, it's, it's one minute, it's, it's two minutes, it's five minutes, whatever it is, start. But here's the challenge. Do it every day. Do it every day. Begin to form the principle, the practice, the behavior, the habit every day. Start doing it every day. When you practice the presence of God, you're invited into a, a powerful story. When you practice the presence of God, you're invited into a personal relationship. And finally, when you practice the presence of God, you understand your purpose. I remember when I was uh, first year uni, I started helping lead a youth group. And, uh, and we didn't have any worship in that youth group. And I, I'd flunked music. I was rubbish at music. You know, I, could, I, I did four years of piano and it was, I was torturing the teacher and I was torturing myself. And, I, and so I, I dropped out of that. You know, I remember going to church at high school and they used to sing Shine, Jesus, Shine. The whole, anyone know Shine, Jesus, Shine? The breakthrough song of the whatever the decade was, 80s, 90s. I tried to sing, but it was too high. I sounded, I couldn't sing, I couldn't do music, I was rubbish. But I was part of this youth group and we needed worship. So I remember saying to God, I said, God, I don't want to be good at music, but we need some worship in our youth group. Will you help me? And I remember grabbing my dad's nylon string guitar and I remember grabbing the Scripture in Song songbook. Some of you may remember that. In the back, there are a whole bunch of chord charts. And I remember just trying to learn the battle belongs to the Lord because that was the easiest one. And just learning on my nylon string guitar. And I was awful. It was terrible. It sounded rubbish. I was bleeding. My fingers were, were all gnarled and, and gross. I don't know what my parents were thinking. And then I remember going and leading worship at the youth group camp three months later. And then I tortured them as, as well around the bonfire. Anyone be tortured by a wannabe worship leader around a bonfire? Many of us. I was that guy. But I worked at it and I remember praying, saying, God, will you help me? Will you lead me? I remember just night after night after night, practicing, 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 practicing my guitar. I fell in love with it. I didn't want to, but I did. You know, it was a real joy last Sunday as Jace came and preached on praise that I was able to stand on this stage and help lead worship with my guitar in my hand. Somehow between then and now, I'd managed to figure out how to make my guitar be in tune with my voice. Actually, a real joy in leading people in worship. God had led me, He'd grown my gift and He'd given me purpose. You know, when we, when we put practices in place every day, just daily walking with God, reading our Bible, spending time in communion with Him, enjoying His presence over time, over time, over time. The power of accumulation, it begins to make a difference. It changes us. It changes our heart. And it begins to spill out in ways that we would have never thought possible. I mean, you look at Brother Lawrence. Here is this humble monk who failed in accounting, finding himself down, washing dishes and just enjoying the presence of God. Just delighting in the presence of God because that was all he wanted. That's all he longed for. It was the one thing he asked for. But as he enjoyed the presence of God, it began to spill out. He was having conversations and, and, and writing letters to his friend. And unbeknownst to him, his friend puts together a book and compiles a book called Practicing the Presence of God. That book begins to get out. There's another man 
A century or so later on, who picks up that book and is profoundly impacted. His name is John Wesley. John Wesley opens that book and is changed by it. He begins to start practising the presence of God. Two hours every morning, John Wesley spends time on his knees in prayer, crying out for the nation of England, which is morally and spiritually bankrupt, heading towards uh, war like France and America before them. And he jumps on a horseback filled with the presence and the power of God and proclaims the gospel around the UK. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people hear the gospel and their lives are changed. You know, John Wesley is changed, he's impacted and, and profoundly impacted by the presence of God. And through a little book by a guy, a little monk who's in Paris a hundred years beforehand. See, we have no idea as we practice the presence of God every day, what impact it will have. You have no idea as you walk before God and build the practice of the presence of God, reminding you of the story that you're in and the joy of being in God, what impact that will have on the people that you work with, your family, your friends, people that maybe you just bump into on public transport or, or, or as you're walking down the street, you have no idea. But it all starts with practice, practicing the presence of God. And as we walk in the presence of God, we're given a new sense of purpose, a new sense of hope, so that when we walk through pain, we can find meaning. We can experience a joy that is far deeper than happiness. David writes in Psalm chapter 1, these well-known words, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We are given a new purpose. We are given a new hope as we practice the presence of God.